You know, giving is not just something we do, but it's the way we worship. Now, that's interesting. We study that today in First Chronicles chapter 16. It's very good. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this, the name of this program is Bible Discovery TV. We're studying ancient history today. And it is absolutely fascinating. Now, Corey and Ryan are helping us. Corey is here. Corey. Today, I'm going to be taking a look at King David, but specifically King David in history outside of the Bible. Ryan? All right, well, in today's reading, the Chronicler reminds us to worship and praise the Lord in all awe and reverence, remembering that He is the creator of the universe and all therein. So today, we're going to do that by examining some of God's handiwork, our planet Earth. Fascinating stuff. Very good stuff. Janice? Today, songs of thanksgiving. All right, very good. They're coming up in 20 minutes. Janice in 25. We're going to teach in five. So let's get our Bible out and listen to what God is saying. First Chronicles 16, 1 through 6. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel, Asaph the chief, and next to him Zechariah, then Jael, Shemeramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, and Obed-Edom, Jael with stringed instruments and harps, but Asaph made music with cymbals. Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. First Chronicles chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 as we go through the Bible. And we are talking about the praise of God. This is very important. Praise has always been a big part of worship. We see it all throughout the scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Someone once said to me something along the lines of, your God sure must have a big ego to actually require worship from the people. But what is praise? Well, if you do some research on it and look it up in the English dictionary, you'll be sure to find a definition that describes outwardly expressing admiration. The Hebrew word, however, for praise means to shine or give glory to God. When we give praise to God, we're really just telling the truth. When we give praise to God, we're just telling the truth. God is great. He is worthy of admiration. His works and his ways are so high above us. When we speak of him honestly, it should be praise. When David brought the ark of the God to the tent tabernacle, 
he made sure that the event was full of praise, truth. David called in the Levites specifically for this purpose, and he would later arrange for vast regular worship services in the temple that his son would build. In fact, there were groups of people who were dedicated to it, very large choirs and orchestras dedicated to musically expressing the truth of God, the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing time that was, an amazing thing. So today, let's think that through. Now take your Bible guide and turn today. If you don't have one, write or call or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and it, it takes you to a place where you can see donations. And let me just say that thank you so much for your donations. We're behind and we have to make decisions and all that. So we, we thank you. And Father, I pray that you would help the people. Uh, the people are good and uh, everybody's suffering right now. But help us, Lord, in Jesus' name to do the right thing and to set our priorities straight. We pray, Lord, for the praise of God in this time. We praise your name because we give truth to it. You are the only God. There is no one higher than you. And you personally came down through Jesus Christ. And you spoke to us. And then you died. But miraculously, because you're God, you rose again. Giving us the gift of eternal life. If we ask you, confess with our mouth, you are Lord. And to say, forgive me of my sin, Lord. It's my sin. Nobody else's fault. It's my fault. Help me, Lord. I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. And God comes into our heart when we pray that way. And the Lord raises us up. Now, look at 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. This is great. It says, so they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. Did you see that? They gave offerings to God. And when we give offerings, we acknowledge the truth of God's greatness. We don't give as a point of pride. <laughs> Okay, this is important because I know people who give offerings and they like to say, yeah, I gave X amount of dollars. to." That's not really why we give. We give because we love the Lord. We give because God has blessed us. That's why we give. You know, we, we have a different feeling around here about giving and there are many people who give money and we just say, praise God. Because God is the one who gives you the blessing. We don't give you the blessing. God gives you the blessing. Because this ministry is divinely connected to God. Our mind is, we're trying to keep our minds focused on Him. And so, beloved, that's what's important. In your church, it's the same. It should be the same. Whatever ministry you give to, that should be the same. First Chronicles 16, 2 and 3 says, And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. Boy, he's really happy about something, isn't he? You see, giving is not simply something we do, but a way we worship. Giving is not something we do, but a way we worship. Offerings are a part of healthy lifestyle of worship. <laughs> People like to say, well, I do this and I do that. Well, that's great, but is it worship, beloved? 
I want to live my life in worship to God. What about you? I want to live my life worshiping the Lord. My suggestion would be, that's what we should do. And giving is, is an act of worship to God. So I love to give to the Lord. Very important that we do that. All right, let's go on interesting names here. Let's look at this. First Chronicles 16, verses 4 to 6 says, And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel, Asaph, the chief. And next to him was Zechariah, then Jael, then Samaramoth, then Jahil, Metathiah, Eliab, Benaniah, Obed-Edom, Jael, with stringed instruments and harps. But Asaph made music with cymbals. And Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priest, regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. What an amazing thing. You see, music was a regular part of worshiping God. Music was a regular part of worshiping God. Now listen carefully. Making music to God is a type of offering that is not complicated by money. It's not complicated by money. What is the copyright on the book of Psalms? 150 pieces of music. Where do you get in trouble when you write music for that? I, I, I suspect that's why the Lord didn't let us hear their music. That we can put music ourselves to those words. Because he knew that we'd be all bent out of shape about copyrights. Who's, who did that? Who's copyrighted? Did you put the copyright up? We don't need to worry about copyrights. Beloved, we need to get our minds off the center of money as our God. And we need to take our minds and put our minds back on God. That's how we worship. Get your mind on God. Keep your mind on God. He will tell you what to give to. He will tell you how to, how to live. Not your money. It's not our money. It's God. Beloved, we need to do that today. And Father, I, I pray, I, I, I sense in my spirit, people are listening and people are watching and it's just like they're like me. It's hard for us to get our minds off of money and put our minds on God. But Lord, we need to do that. Help us to do that today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we give ourselves to you and teach us your ways. Show us your paths. And we all said together, amen. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. My segment today is inspired from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, in which the author, in a psalm of thanksgiving, 
encourages his readers to worship and praise the Lord in all awe and reverence, remembering that he is the great creator of the heavens and the earth. And he declares in verses 23 to 26 this, Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods and all the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. So although man is proud of himself because he can make things out of pre-existing materials, God created everything out of nothing, and he did so with great care. And let's take planet Earth for example. Atheists claim that the Earth, and the rest of creation for that matter, was just an accident of nature. But this claim is constantly contradicted by scientific discoveries. Check it out. Many claim that the Earth, solar system, and entire universe was all just an accident of nature. In fact, Carl Sagan, who famously referred to planet Earth as an insignificant pale blue dot, wrote that to believe we have some privileged position in the universe is a delusion. However, recent astronomical observations seriously challenge this statement. In fact, not only does science contradict it, but ironically, it is our very placement in the universe which even makes scientific discovery possible in the first place. For example, in our solar system, Earth is the only planet that scientists know of on which a total solar eclipse can be viewed. In order for this to occur, the Sun and Moon have to have relationships in both size and distance to the planet. The Moon has a diameter of approximately 3,400 kilometers and orbits the Earth at an average distance of 380,000 kilometers. The Sun is about 400 times further away from the Earth than the Moon is. However, it is also 400 times larger than the Moon. This means that from the Earth, the Sun and Moon appear to be the same size. This is so precise that the Moon covers the Sun perfectly, giving us on Earth a stunning view of the corona. If the Moon was slightly larger or smaller, this would not be possible. Thanks to this view of the corona, scientists are able to use the spectra to uncover the chemistry of the Sun. Thus, Earth is placed in a prime position in the solar system to make scientific observations about our home star. And not only is Earth placed in a prime position for scientific discovery, but also for life itself. Indeed, Earth is a unique planet in our solar system, as it happens to be at precisely the correct distance from the Sun to provide just the right amount of heat and light needed for life. Astronomers refer to this area around a star where life could exist as the Goldilocks Zone. Even the Sun itself has prime placement in the universe. Indeed, scientists have recently discovered that our star happens to be in a location within our galaxy which actually makes scientific discovery possible. In fact, if the Sun were closer to the center of the Milky Way, or if it were further out, we would not be able to view the stars and it would create many problems. Despite the claims of Sagan and many others, our placement in the universe is by no means insignificant. In fact, it is our placement which allows us to make the scientific observations necessary which do in fact confirm our unique placement. While a privileged position in the universe does not fit well with naturalistic assumptions, it is precisely what would be expected if the universe were the result of a wise and intelligent creator. Interestingly, the Bible promotes Earth as the main stage of the universe. For example, out of the six days of creation, five were spent on preparing the Earth. Additionally, Jesus Christ came only to the Earth to die and to do so explicitly for human beings. Therefore, the Earth, according to the Bible and to science, though indeed a small speck, is extremely unique. 
So not only was Carl Sagan wrong about our placement in the universe being insignificant, but he was also wrong that no one will come to save us. See, just as Jesus came the first time to earth to die for us, he is coming again very soon to save us from ourselves, as Sagan put it. There is hope. We aren't just random assortments of molecules with no purpose as naturalists like Sagan would have us believe. Jesus Christ is both our creator and our savior. So may we acknowledge and come to him today. And come to Jesus now and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Uh, I come to you and I ask you to help me to understand that you've saved my life and you died on the cross and I accept you. And uh, I believe you died on the cross and rose again. So help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Very important. Very important to do that right away. Thank you. Corey? All right. So today we're going to be taking a look at King David, but from extra biblical records. So from historical records that aren't the Bible. So can we see, do we see King David and his kingdom as it was described in the Bible, outside of the Bible, in reality, in the ground? Take a look. That King David existed as a historical person was settled in the 1990s. The discovery of the partial remains of a monumental stella at Tel Dan, the first fragment in 1993 and the second in 1994, coincided with a re-examination of another stella called the Mesha inscription or Moabite stone. Both monuments were erected by enemies of Israel and Judah, and both mention the royals of Judah as belonging to the House of David. In a phrase like House of David, the house is not a literal building, but is metaphorical, referring to the dynasty of a founding father, the descendants of an establishing king. Famously, the Bible records that God promised to build David a house, again, meaning a lineage, not a physical palace. The Tel Dan Stella is named for the city it was discovered in. We know it today only in part from those fragments found in secondary use in the early 90s. Scholars deduce from its contents and age that it was written by Hazael of Damascus, an Aramean king of the city-state of Damascus that's featured heavily in the Bible and had great success warring against Israel and Judah. The inscription commemorated his victories over Israel and Judah and would have stood in the gate of Dan for decades until the city was recaptured by Israel's King Jehoash and likely at that point smashed into its fragments and reused as building materials. Its fragments today record whole, partial, and implied names of several biblical kings and lists the kings of Judah as of the house of David. The House of David is also referred to in the Mesha inscription that records the same event from a different perspective as 2 Kings chapter 3. This inscription was commissioned by Mesha, king of Moab, enemy of Israel and Judah, at that time ruled by Joram and Jehoshaphat. The inscription also mentions Omri, verifies that Chemosh was the Moabite national deity, and several other elements of Moabite culture mentioned in the scriptures. Interestingly, there's also a disputed mention of David's name recorded in a victory inscription of Pharaoh Shishak, who attacked Judah during the reign of David's grandson Rehoboam. This Egyptian inscription refers to a portion of Judah as the Heights of David. There are also several lines of physical evidence for David's kingdom to be found in archaeological data from the 10th century BC. 
In a newly released study, scholar Josef Garfinkel brings together excavation reports and archaeological surveys from four sites to argue that evidence for a centralized government in Judah during David's reign can be demonstrated. Garfinkel believes that the core of David's kingdom began with four cities before expanding ever outwards, a picture that melds well with the biblical account. Garfinkel's excavations also revealed evidence for the architectural style of Solomon's temple in the form of a small shrine and for the Bible's record of King Rehoboam's building activities. You know, beyond the, the the really cool wow factor of the House of David and the Heights of David inscriptions, I find this evidence of a centralized kingdom uh, in early Israelite history to be very compelling. I think it's so interesting that historians and archaeologists can put together this model of how Israel became a centralized nation as opposed to associated tribes or allied tribes, how this centralized government began and grew. Uh, and I, I just, I, I find it very compelling and it's really, really cool how it does seem to track with the Bible's record of David. All outside the Bible, but it tracks with the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and it's very interesting because a lot of people don't put that together and they suggest that the Bible is just a book of fables. Yeah. And they don't understand that, no, there's history outside the Bible yeah. too. Yeah, and you can err both ways, right? Yep. You can yes. you can kind of read your culture or read your understanding onto the pages of the Bible and then expect to see something in the history that's not actually there, mm -hmm. or you can just throw it out and both are not great. So you kind of that's have right. to find that, that happy middle ground that, re and when you do, things begin to really fall into place and make sense. Very good, Corey. Thank you so much. Uh, Jan. Songs of Thanksgiving. Ryan, you were touching on it as well. This is, this is great. You know, David was a, was, a, was a man of songs. And we see so many of the Psalms that he wrote for us. And we see that in this chapter today. We look at verse 4. This is First Chronicles 16. And David appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord God of Israel. David appoints permanent musicians to surround the ark of God who would praise the Lord, having praise in the presence of God at all times. And David wrote a psalm, a song, and delivered it to Asaph on that next day for the very first time. And I, Ryan read part of it. I want to read verses 8 down to 11. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. And you know, if we would just take a look at just those few verses right here, we could really set our hearts aright, our minds aright on what worship of God really is. The areas and the attributes of God, our holy and reverent and merciful and almighty God. This is the one that we praise because all honor, all praise is 
to God. He is the only one that we should be worshiping. And I just think that, you know, we, we, we can read this entire psalm that David wrote. We get down to the final few verses and it really wraps it up so well to our points of worship that God is the only God and he is our salvation. Listen to the last couple of, of verses of this song that David wrote. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. It's verse 34. For his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And that's the end of David's song. But listen, it says after that, and all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. And that's the honor and the blessing and the privilege that we get to do to praise the Lord, not only in song, but with our lives as we live to worship and thank God every yeah. day with exactly. everything that we do. And what a blessing it is to be able to fellowship, to go to our churches, yeah. to sing together, to be able to hear each other praise and worship God around it. There's nothing like it. it. It's just such a privilege. And I would challenge you today, if you have made it a habit to stay home and just watch online, uh, you know, it's a wonderful tool of technology and sometimes, and what a blessing it is when we can't get out. But when we can, always make that effort to get ready and go and be in the presence of God and in the fellowship of brothers and sisters and be able to worship and praise God. There's there's just nothing like it. It's it's wonderful. And I would encourage people that they need to uh, to to get out to church. Yeah. Uh, because the the one thing that we've seen is that after the pandemic, everybody's staying home watching in their pajamas. But get out to church because you need to enjoy the fellowship one with another. It's called BD Family and Friends, Bible Discovery Family and Friends, and it's a channel on the Roku box, which you can buy at Walmart and put it on your TV set to turn your internet into a computer. There's many channels there, NBC, ABC, CBS, but our channel is there as well, and our programs are there as well, so we encourage you to check that out. Today, we need to pray and say, Lord, I recognize that you are not motivated by money, but you're motivated by worship. 
help me to worship you today.